This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we're going to be looking at an endocrine emergency. And to help us with that, we have Dr. Skylar Lenz. Skylar is an emergency medicine and critical care physician at Vermont Medical Center. Skylar, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here to talk about one of my favorite endocrine emergencies, adrenal insufficiency. Let's start with talking about why adrenal insufficiency happens. And to do that, I think we need to look at chronic insufficiency with a stressor versus that patient with acute insufficiency. Walk me through what we need to know. We have to recall that the adrenal gland releases cortisol, a glucocorticoid, and there are glucocorticoid receptors all throughout the body, so it affects most organ systems. When there's a lack of cortisol, we can see severe symptoms such as profound hypoglycemia, hypotension, and general hemodynamic instability. If we recall the basic endocrine pathway here, in response to a stressor, the hypothalamus releases corticotropin-releasing hormone to the anterior pituitary. The pituitary releases ACTDH, stimulating the adrenal gland to produce cortisol in times of stress. Adrenal insufficiency can be a result of any problem along this pathway. In primary adrenal insufficiency, the adrenal gland itself fails. In secondary or central adrenal insufficiency, there's failure of the hypothalamic pituitary axis to stimulate the adrenal gland. This could be from a pituitary tumor or radiation or suppression by exogenous steroids of any type leading to adrenal gland atrophy over time. Adrenal insufficiency can be acute or chronic. In chronic adrenal insufficiency, it's easier to recognize your patient comes in with a history of this, they're usually taking hormone and steroid replacement, and they're coming in with an acute illness or an acute stressor. Acute adrenal insufficiency is the more challenging one. Since we don't know it's present, we have to diagnose it and recognize it. Great explanation, and I completely agree that the acute insufficiency is much more difficult to diagnose. These patients are going to present with nonspecific symptoms. There's a wide differential. How often do we see either the chronic form or acute insufficiency? Adrenal insufficiency is rare, but it's something we'll all see in our practice. Autoimmune adrenal insufficiency is the most common cause in modern countries, and most often appears between 30 and 50 years old. The most concerning thing here is that in 60% of cases, it requires two or more clinician evaluations before making the diagnosis. And for us in the emergency department, an adrenal crisis carries a mortality rate of 6 to 15%, so we have to catch this. Wow, that mortality rate is pretty significant, up to 15%, but we still miss the diagnosis. What are going to be the major risk factors that we need to consider in the ED? The most common cause of primary adrenal insufficiency in modern countries is autoimmune. It's autoantibodies destroying the adrenal gland. Like other autoimmune processes, having a history of an autoimmune disease or a family history of autoimmune diseases is a risk factor, like our patients with type 1 diabetes or thyroid disease. Infiltration by tuberculosis is a common worldwide cause of primary adrenal insufficiency. Other causes include adrenal hemorrhage, like our patients taking anticoagulants, infiltration by malignancy, sarcoid or amyloid, surgical removal of the adrenal glands, or medications affecting cortisol metabolism. 
The major risk factors for secondary adrenal insufficiency is pituitary failure to release ACTH because of tumors, resection of tumors, brain radiation, brain trauma, or pituitary gland ischemia from hypoperfusion. We should always inquire about a history of steroid use when we're suspecting adrenal insufficiency. Steroid use by any route can increase your patient's risk of adrenal insufficiency. In asthmatics, the rate of adrenal insufficiency is about 5% in those who take inhaled glucocorticoids long-term. That's a key point considering all those risk factors, especially the use of steroids, even the inhaled form, some other related endocrine conditions, autoimmune conditions, but what triggers do we need to consider? A trigger of adrenal insufficiency can be anything that requires us to mount a stress response. When we cannot produce the necessary cortisol, this may lead to an adrenal crisis. Gastroenteritis is the number one cause of adrenal crisis. Plain old vomiting and diarrhea. Other causes we should think about are fever and infection, pregnancy, MI, hypoglycemia, surgery or trauma, recent discontinuation of steroids, or emotional stress. So this sounds very similar to some other endocrine emergencies like DKA, thyroid storm, mixed edema coma. We need to find that underlying trigger. How are these patients going to present? What makes this so tricky to diagnose is the symptoms are often nonspecific and can develop over weeks to months as the adrenal gland slowly fails. Most commonly, you'll see fatigue, malaise, and general weakness. Also, other symptoms like loss of appetite, weight loss, GI symptoms like vomiting, abdominal pain, nausea, and the patient may also have salt craving, postural hypotension, syncope, or in the case of primary adrenal insufficiency, they may have skin hyperpigmentation from ACTH stimulating melanin. So think about this diagnosis in your patient with other autoimmune disease who presents with unexplained fatigue, GI symptoms, and postural syncope. Adrenal crisis has more severe symptoms in a more obvious presentation. To meet the definition of adrenal crisis, experts would say you have to have two of the following, a systolic blood pressure of less than 100, nausea or vomiting, fatigue, hyponatremia less than 132, hypoglycemia or hyperkalemia, fever or altered mental status, and generally a clinical improvement with glucocorticoid administration. In the emergency department, what we'll see is hypotension or hypovolemic shock in cases of adrenal crisis. That definition is actually helpful because it highlights what we need to look for. The last patient I had with adrenal insufficiency, they presented with shock. It was refractory to fluids and vasopressors. They had some GI symptoms, significant fatigue, but the labs were the major clues. What can we see on our laboratory testing? So if we have our patient with unexplained hypovolemia or shock or other suggestive symptoms, we might also see hypoglycemia, which can be refractory, and hyponatremia. Hyperkalemia and a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis are seen in primary adrenal insufficiency, but not in secondary adrenal insufficiency. The hyperkalemia is not present in secondary adrenal insufficiency because aldosterone is regulated by renin and serum potassium not ACTH from the pituitary gland. We may also see hypercalcemia and eosinophilia on our CBC with differential. Okay, we're going to see hypoglycemia. It's often refractory to treatment. We're going to find hyponatremia. And then in the primary form, we're going to find hyperkalemia. I do have to ask about some other lab testing though. 
What about cortisol levels and what's the stimulation test? The diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency is confirmed by a suggestive history in a cosentropin stim test. It sounds scary, but all we're doing here is giving ACTH and seeing if the adrenal gland responds. We don't have to do this in every patient. Patient with mild symptoms, we could refer for follow-up. But in some cases, we could just test this in the emergency department. The standard test is 250 micrograms of cosentropin. A functioning adrenal gland should respond by producing a peak cortisol of greater than 18 to 20 milligrams per deciliter when measured at 30 and 60 minutes. If the cortisol fails to reach this peak level, then adrenal insufficiency is likely. This seems complicated, but it can be done in under an hour in the emergency department. We could also screen using a random cortisol. If it's greater than 18 to 20 micrograms per deciliter, this suggests against the diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. Now, I have to point out that you should not delay glucocorticoid administration in times of adrenal crisis. It's a life-threatening diagnosis. Go ahead and treat it. The patient can have confirmatory testing done later on. You could think about adding on a cortisol level and ACTH to the pre-treatment labs. A low cortisol and a high ACTH also suggest the diagnosis of primary adrenal insufficiency, but do not delay treatment. That's a key point, and I'm really glad you brought this up. These patients are sick. We need to treat and not wait for the confirmatory testing. I'm going to summarize what we have so far. We have a patient who will probably present with GI symptoms, fatigue. We're probably going to see hypotension, hypoglycemia, hyponatremia. These patients can also look like sepsis. Let's talk about management. What are going to be the foundations? A patient presenting an adrenal crisis is in crisis due to lack of cortisol. The best way to treat this is hydrocortisone. It's the pharmacologic equivalent of cortisol. It's the best steroid to use in this situation. And we must also resuscitate our patients. So for those in crisis, give 100 milligrams of IV hydrocortisone. This can be followed by two to 300 milligrams a day of hydrocortisone in times of stress. Depending on your institution, this can be achieved by 50 milligrams every six hours or a continuous infusion. The important part in the emergency department is that 100 milligrams of IV hydrocortisone. We should also resuscitate with fluids. These patients are often hypovolemic. Normal saline may actually be a good option for the initial fluid choice because of salt losses. If the patient's hypoglycemic, add dextrose to those fluids. Replete electrolytes as needed. Search for a trigger and treat the underlying suspected cause. Since it can look like sepsis and your patient may be in shock, antibiotics and cultures might be a good idea to start. For patients with shock, these severe electrolyte changes, disposition is not going to be a problem. They're going to be coming in. They're probably going to need the ICU. What about that patient with chronic insufficiency and a new illness? Patients with chronic adrenal insufficiencies are usually an expert themselves at treating their illness, so listen to your patient. We are usually seeing them because they have a GI illness and they can't tolerate their home hydrocortisone or hormone replacement. Give fluids, check electrolytes, and give an initial dose of IV hydrocortisone of 100 milligrams. Sometimes the patient may have already taken this in sub-Q or IM form, so ask them if they've already received that. If later in their course they can tolerate oral fluids, you've resuscitated them, they might be able to go home. Usually they require a double or triple dose of their home maintenance hydrocortisone while they're still ill. And we have to remember that simple things like a fever from a viral illness, 
urinary tract infection, surgery, or trauma can cause stress and need an increase in maintenance hydrocortisone doses. It's always a good idea to coordinate with the patient's endocrinologist if they're available to get better direction. Yeah, absolutely. Coordinating with their endocrinologist is going to be essential. The endocrinologist is probably going to want to see the patient in follow-up, and they can help guide us in terms of steroid dosing for these patients. Skylar, I'm going to summarize what we have for our listeners. Adrenal insufficiency is a life-threatening emergency. We need to recognize this early and treat it aggressively. The hallmark is hypotension that's refractory to IV fluids and vasopressors. Patients will also have refractory hypoglycemia and hyponatremia. We need to suspect this in patients with unexplained hypotension in risk factors like prior steroid use, history of autoimmune disease, and even hyperpigmentation. Treatment is hydrocortisone 100 mg IV, and then we need to search for and treat the precipitating cause. Skylar, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 